Hello, my fellow movie fans, and welcome to another show of Feast of Films Theatre. Today, starring Matthew Black and Ethan R. Hill. There, that's the intro. Oh, yeah. Classic. Classic. Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of our two-part Star Wars Episode One talk. Enjoy the rest of the show. All right, so let's move into Act 3, the return to Naboo, and the conclusion of Episode 1. The good, the bad, the weird. What do you think, Ethan? He's eating popcorn right now. So, like, most of my notes that I have left over for the good, the bad, and the weird are all mostly just, like, things that made me sad and were not great. Um, Well, I guess, it's like, one thing that I could say that would be good, but it's not... (sighs) It's a weird way for me to express this. I felt Qui-Gon's death was good, but also unjust. And also, I would have liked to have seen Qui-Gon in more movies. You know? Mm-hmm. It would have been kind of an interesting thing to almost see him be the one training Anakin for the first bit. And then there became kind of this unspoken rivalry between... Obi-Wan and Anakin because Anakin's trying to like live up to um, what Obi-Wan was as Qui-Gon's apprentice and I think like, that could have been an interesting story to tell and I'm just I'm not a fan of how he died I think that's my biggest issue is just like how his death like played a cheap out. shot it was a cheap shot yeah it was easily deflected and it just it's a hard time for me to believe that the way that Obi-Wan, uh, or the way that Qui-Gon died would not have been the same way for, like, Maul couldn't have dealt with Obi-Wan the same way. Like, it just, it seemed he died because he had to, rather than he died because it made sense to. Right? Like, it was more of a, let's just force this death in. Yeah, I don't I don't know and, if it exactly was that, but keep going. I'll, that's, just, that's just how it feels, that's how it felt mm-hmm. to me, and it's one of those things yeah. that, like, because how much I love Qui-Gon as a character, like, Mm-hmm. Like legit, as a kid, I loved him as a character, and like specifically yeah. getting picking out, you know, when you're a kid at Toys R Us or Walmart, and he's like, "I want a lightsaber," and you got to choose which kind of character's lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Qui Gon's was the first one I went for. Oh, I always went for Obi Wan. I was the other side of that. Yeah. I, well, I've become like that's weird. Like as, for me, as I've gotten older, Obi Wan's, especially like with the the counterbalance on the bottom, yeah, that's appealed to me more and more as time has gone on. But growing up, when I was a kid. Qui-Gon and I think it was also because it was green that was also part of it too but mm-hmm. like but like um a while ago we were planning to do a Star Wars short film like every filmmaker does yeah and it just went nowhere which I'm cool with but we actually took time we went down to Home Depot and we bought a bunch of supplies to build our own lightsabers <laughs> nice. like literally dude just go like buy some PVC and then go and like raid the plumbing section at Home Depot yeah yeah and you can just build a legitimately good looking lightsaber from these pieces and i even got like a little like a uh, shower or like a tap knob that i stuck on the bottom and oh, like, okay yeah they looked legit like they looked like actual lightsaber props and i think i might have thrown mine out eventually because like again we weren't doing anything <laughs> with it yeah you're like okay but, see you later <laughs> well it's storage and moving and stuff like that but like, yeah for sure i might have them somewhere but it's just one of those things of design-wise, I loved his lightsaber. His character I liked. It just overall, 
he was such a good character that I got attached to. And that was my first real taste as anybody, like as a, as a filmmaker, as someone to take mm-hmm. in media, as anything like that, where this character I've inter- been introduced to and built up an entire movie around suddenly dies at the end. Yeah. I never experienced that. They'd all died pretty early on in the stories, like, but this was my first taste of like, oh yeah, we're gonna watch some adventures with Qui-Gon and Obi. What's going on? No, he dead. Oh no. <laughs> and like, oh, he dead. <laughs> for years, I had to actually cover my eyes when he died. Like, yeah. it scared me that much that I was just like, nope, I can't watch. And like, eventually now it's just like, why was I scared of this? Oh, because I like the character. That's why. Like, well, and they foreshadow his death early in the movie too, or I guess in middle of the movie. But yeah, like it's it's one of those things of like I felt I felt per, for me I felt his death was <clears throat> unjust, but I still consider it a good moment. Like it's super weird. It's super super weird because like it shouldn't be considered a good moment for me, but it is. I didn't feel like it was that unjust. Like for me, how I interpreted like the fight and ultimately Qui Gon's death, it made sense to me. Because here's the thing, Darth Maul is an extremely efficient, uh, skilled combatant. And he's clearly very young, very agile, and he moves very quick. And he has two blades coming at him. Now, when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan were fighting, fair enough. He had enough to hold on to. But when they got separated, and it was just Qui-Gon fighting, I just feel like, number one, from a physical standpoint, he is an older Jedi. Like True. he's, he's not 60, 70, but he's got to be up in his fifties. I don't know exactly his age, but he, he's got the gray, he's getting gray hair. He's at least early fifties, at least. And he's going up against someone who possibly could be in his early twenties, but is incredibly, incredibly skilled and efficient. So I honestly feel like he just got tired out and he couldn't keep up with Darth Maul's pacing. And you kind of even see that before that moment they kind of do that clash and they back away and Darth Maul gives him that look and he's just kind of, you know, looks at him. But it looks like he's starting to tire lose. Bit. Yeah, not be able to keep up with Darth Maul quite a bit. And I think Darth Maul got close in that moment and he kind of, you know, he holds his lightsaber back and kind of backs away. Um, no, I could see So that. then when it came down to like the hit, you know, Qui-Gon had tired out and he didn't have enough of that, you know, energy left to counter or to recover as quickly to recover quickly so when he got hit and boom done right so for me it made complete amount of sense because he fought this guy by himself for a long time like that's a lot of fighting for even a young person to do even a young person to do when you're up against someone like darth maul if it would have been like another older jedi right you're like okay fair enough right for qui-gon i think he had to dispose he would have had to dispose of maul very quickly uh, to have yeah. the chance to keep up but yeah so to me it made sense um it fit into the story and it fit into who these characters were not just on like what needed to happen narratively but who they were physically at the, as their essence characters so like another one another complaint i've heard i don't have this complaint but a lot of yeah. people are saying that why didn't obi-wan force run all the way from like oh to catch up yeah yeah, and I, I don't like that argument. I don't think that's a solid argument because, number one, if he timed it wrong and he ran too fast but didn't stop soon enough and ran into one of those beams, he'd be dead. He'd dead. <laughs> um, yeah. And the other one, too, is just, like, the dude's in the middle of a battle. Like, they've been using the Force quite a bit. He's probably you got to preserve your energy. That's the exactly. thing, Exactly. Yeah. If you would have Force ran there and then just been, like, out of breath fighting Maul, he would have been just as dead, right? He would have been just as dead. Exactly. Yeah. 
I mean, arguably, we we know logically the reason why is narrative structure and drama. Oh yeah, intention. for sure, for sure. But like, but, but like when you're gonna they, nitpick things, things like that anyway. Yeah, if things don't make sense in the world though, like you can have all the narrative structure you want and foreshadowing and key plot points over a trilogy. But if it doesn't make sense in the world, it's not gonna land well, right? And for me, this still made sense. Like it needed to happen. But how it happened made sense. Now, if yeah. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan were still fighting, and then Qui-Gon was alone for two seconds and Darth Maul killed him, I would have been like, okay. But they were fighting for quite a while before Obi-Wan kind of, you know, while he was well, trying I to think, catch up. I want to say they even cut away. Like, they, they, they had did them cut fighting away. for a bit, yeah. and they cut away, and they dealt with other stuff. And arguably, yeah. when it's story like, structured like this, a lot of times there's things that are going on simultaneously with the other action that you're watching when you're switching yeah. between these battles right yeah it's not all one for one where it's like well they fought down like that this. whole walkway right yeah before they reached the little circle of you know pit of death area so but yeah no i i thought i thought that was actually a good element to the act three but well, i mean hey that that means we were both talking about something good just i, I think it bugs me at the end of the day. Because you love the I character so much. 100%. I thought, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's why I was super excited when those books came out with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon going on adventures together. Because I got more Qui-Gon, right? Yeah. And that's... I'd love to see a series of that. I don't know if they'll ever get Liam Neeson to come back for anything. But, like... Well, I would hope he'd come back for the Obi-Wan series, to be honest. Like, at well, least even just to... Like, he won't be as a physical, you know... Force but ghost. Even just as his voice or as a force ghost. Well, that would be to, sick. I think that I hope that one of that's how Obi-Wan learned how to do it though right yeah Yoda makes it very clear in episode three that he has training for him and that Qui-Gon's reached out right so yeah um so what's a good thing for you or is that one of the same notes uh that's one of the same notes ultimately like act three I didn't really have bad moments in it I you know maybe the Gungan fighting was kind of questionable at best uh it's still entertaining stuff it was entertaining so I wouldn't say bad maybe slightly weird but for the most part, I really enjoyed Act 3 of this movie. It is a true Star Wars third act battle. Like, oh, yeah. you have the multiple things going on in multiple different you locations. You have the land battle. You're, you're following the, the lightsaber fight. You got the oh. big Gungan fight. In this one, and you, then you have got the, like, space the temple fight. stuff and the space fight. Like, there's four different areas in this, you know, that are happening all. And I think they balanced them all well. They gave them all the appropriate amount of attention. And no one had too much yeah. or too little. Arguably, you could say, we need more lightsabers. Sure, fair enough. We always need more lightsabers. But it was balanced out very, very well. Um, I loved how before the new trilogy, it was this perfect little circle. How it ended with this big epic battle in episode 6. And then episode 1 also started with this big epic battle at the end of that movie. Like both of the both of the tail end movies were these huge epic Star Wars fights. All the stuff in the middle was varying levels of that. But those two are the two highlights when it comes to Star Wars battles. And I absolutely loved it in episode one. So for me, the good thing is the whole third act almost in general. Like just the big battle, what they gave attention to, and the jumping back in multiple points. Like to me, that's true Star Wars. That's true Star Wars when it comes to battles. That's what I want to see. And that's what I missed really in the sequel trilogy. That's that's what I missed. No, that's fair. My well, and they had but they had it in um kind of they had it in uh Force Awakens. Uh yeah, kind of, but not to like the same level, right? And ar- oh, yeah. arguably arguably you could say they kind of had it in Rise of Skywalker, but I felt it was executed so not well 
that it didn't really do any of it justice. It just felt like a, sh- it felt like a smudge posh of shit that was happening. more messy. I'll yeah, it was that. very messy. Like it was just there's stuff happening and there's so much stuff, but there was no organization to it or anything. Like it was just kind of everywhere. Whereas this was clean. This is very that clean. being said well though, done. in the fight in the final battle, I did have a bit of a problem with some of the stuff in episode uh, one. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's to do with Anakin's space battle. <laughs> yeah, I love I love the space battle. I love all space battles. I yeah. enjoy them. But Anakin in there was just like stuck out like a sore thumb. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was telling my wife as we were watching, I'm like, this is literally the equivalent of a battle going on and some child like flying through, like, ah! <laughs> like just going for a joyride. <laughs> like in the middle of let's try spinning that's That's i mean it's not even the equivalent that's exactly what was happening he Mm -hmm. wasn't participating he was just like oh shit (laughs) like i'm in the middle of a fight oh man it was kind of silly and like and like the fact that he accidentally hits what they are trying to hit and accidentally launches mission like it's just so much it's so much convenience that it just it irks me when i hear like so here's like i'm at the core I'm okay with that. When yeah. I keep hear people when I hear people complain about specifically episode seven and how everything's too convenient for Ray in episode seven, I'm like, did you watch episode one? Did you watch how convenient everything is for Anakin? Like it's not no, it's not convenient. It's, I wouldn't say convenient. Like everything in the story isn't convenient for Anakin, but there's certain moments that are incredibly convenient for Anakin, and I'm okay with that in storytelling. But episode seven yeah, didn't 100%. bug me for convenience. Episode nine bugged me for convenience because everything was just by chance that happened in that movie. It was just by chance that things happened. Why, I'm not talking about episode nine. I'm talking but about episode anyway, seven. I know you said seven, but I'm saying nine. But one is one was okay to me. I had a lot of people com- like complain even to this day when I talked to them about it, where it's like, but Ray can do this, 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 and this. And I'm like, yeah, and Anakin could do this, 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 and this. Trust me, it's been a Star Wars staple for a very long time yeah that's just part of it and that's it's okay and as i said it it doesn't bug me to the point where i get like physically upset or angry about it it's just like one of those things like okay i guess that's the way we're going <laughs> I with guess this that's what All happened right. yeah <laughs> it's just so weird it's just such a weird execution and it's just really <laughs> i don't fully understand it but i understand it and at the mm-hmm. end of the day the the anakin is kind of the surrogate audience like seat for the kid like for kids for the kids yeah as a nine-year-old i mean we probably both really really enjoyed watching anakin do that because we're like we could do that too everyone wants to be in a space battle yeah for sure i would die immediately though so i probably want to be like anakin's lucky he survived i would have been dead immediately so uh, you know but there's some of my favorite star wars games are the ones where it's like less about running around um with a lightsaber and more of just like the dog fights i love Oh, like the, the Starfighter Star games, like yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Dogfighting's fun. They're so much fun. It's fun. Uh, anything else that bugged you about Act 3 or that you loved? The very ending, that whole parade, that whole yeah. everything just still to this day confuses me. I know, and that's, it's 100% to line up with how Episode 4 ended. It's that whole, like, hey, here's a procession. Here's, like, the, yeah, <clears> we <throat> did it, guys. Yeah, yeah. But, like, it just, it really... This one is really forced and really, 
I don't think needed to be there. And then there's the weird side glance that Padme and Anakin give each other. And oh, like, yeah. This whole, oh, yeah. Like, we're talking so about the whole weird. creepy thing, man. Creepy McG. There's so and much... did you notice, like, Obi-Wan picked up on that glance? He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. There's this whole... It's just a whole bunch of weird that happens He's in always that known. final moment. And, like, the movie was weird enough, but then that final moment just took the weirdness level and amped it up to, like... A million like it's just it's one of those things of like could we have ended this movie like two minutes ago instead please or something a little more subtle a lot more subtle <laughs> a lot more i didn't mind it i thought it was i honestly never compared like in my mind i've never compared it to episode four it's very interesting that you say that because now that i think about it visually it is very much episode four now that you say that but the way like, it ends like the final yeah, shot yeah absolutely the final shot the whole aisle thing the you know everyone standing at the front it's just 10 times bigger right and i was like man i've never until you literally just said that i've never pictured those two the same thing i always compared it more to like the end of episode six like a big party like yeah we won kind of thing so like i don't know to me it seemed fine i never really had a problem with it didn't have a problem with it this time given who the gungans are and the people are i'm like this seems like it makes sense because this this was a situation and a conflict that didn't just affect like one group of people or like a group of rebels this was like a whole planet and a whole city that overcame the trade federation so i thought it just seemed appropriate because we would have a festival too and it reminded me no difference of like the festivals after the end of World War II, right? And the parades that happened. I like that idea where it would be more of a parallel with episode six. Yeah. I think that would have been more appropriate having, instead of it being like a big procession or anything, have it more just be like a party in the streets. I think that mm -hmm. would have been a bit more. Instead of being so formal. It was, yeah, it was really formal. Particularly? For, for a parade. It was kind of, yeah. it was kind of weird. It was kind of. And I guess just but, accept the two groups accepting each other, right? As no, well, like it's and a nice, being it's willing a nice to moment. work and incorporate each other into society. It is, and we just never see that happen again until yeah, yeah. No. I think we see it briefly in episode three during Padme's funeral. I wouldn't call it a party, but yeah, there's a lot of people. <laughs> that would have been really awkward if it was like the same scene, except it was a casket. <laughs> like I mean, no, I mean like not party. I'm talking about. Um, the the uniting of the gungans and the naboo oh the people there well no you see we, you get the idea of it because jar jar is now with the senator right he now travels with her so you get the idea of the integration of the two also no but that's literally out of all the gungans jar jar is the best person you could have got to be a <laughs> senator representative i know like they have it's politicians so in the gungan community they have yeah. people who are more qualified, but they get Jar Jar? Yeah. Okay. All it, right. It makes me laugh. Well, like, why is Jar Jar a general in the end of this movie, right? Like, it's like... Because apparently promotions just happen. I, I, you brought the Naboo and everyone together. You're now qualified to lead a military. <laughs> what? But okay. No, his, and this, and his this reaction... is my point of being, like, how the Gungans are always played off as dumb. <laughs> But his reaction is 100% justified being like, just passes what? out. <laughs> yeah. yep. I'd do the same thing. I'd be like, this makes no sense. But yeah. I mean, overall, I liked Arc 3. It was uh, Act 3. It was good. It was very entertaining. They balanced out the battle really well. And just some really critical key moments happen in this act. 
that are essential for the whole Star Wars saga. So I thought it was good. At the end of the day, again, as much as I pick apart Star Wars Episode 1 and 2 and even 3, like, I still enjoy them. Like, mm-hmm. they're still great. They're still just so much fun. All right, so let's move on. So that's our coverage, our thoughts on the first, uh, I guess not the first three acts of the movie. The three acts of the, the movie. Only three the acts. first third, The only three acts of the movie. Uh, let's get into some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, the elements, the direction, performance, music, practical, digital effects, etc. Fun fact, Matt, if you actually play the movie in reverse, you get a secret three acts. It's all about Ooh. this... Uh, Jedi coming back from the dead and taking a little boy to Desert Planet and abandoning him into slavery before going to negotiate a trade dispute. Oh, interesting. It's a whole it's a whole totally different take on it. It's uh really kind of dark and not nearly as happy. <laughs> no doubt. And I'd imagine that the the line the dialogue is very confusing. It's it's <laughs> it makes uh, little to no sense. Well it's technically a foreign film, I guess. Um oh, belongs okay. to the mirrorverse. Uh, Do you need subtitles? <laughs> the subtitles wouldn't help, trust me. <laughs> it's just a uh, funny guy it's just, funny guy <laughs> it's really uh appreciated at uh triple speed because you can see what's happening but you don't really grasp it and it's it's that's the only way to view it <laughs> that's the best way to actually take exactly it, eh? so you can have a you can have a <laughs> six right. act star wars movie but you just gotta play it in reverse <laughs> you're welcome this smart ass over here <laughs> all right let's get into the elements here uh uh, we'll start off. Uh, let's start off talking about special effects here, because I think just in general we kind of touched base on this a little earlier. I think the special effects in this movie stand up and hold up today much better compared to Episode Two, uh, even some of the digital stuff. Now a lot of it is practical special effects, but even some of the digital stuff wasn't bad. Except I found really jarring and like really bad is the uh, Coruscant, but from the view of the Jedi Temple. Not necessarily in the actual, like, Jedi throne room, but, not throne room, but the Jedi council room, but when they go out and they're standing on, like, that balcony looking over Coruscant, it's, like, flat, oh, okay. man. It's, like, paper thin. <laughs> you can really tell it's, like, all put together digitally, but it's not, it's not very good. But well, other than that, lot, like, I thought it was pretty good. They built sets, man. They actually built sets. And it's so fun fact I learned about. Apparently, the Jedi throne room in episode two mm-hmm. didn't exist. They just used shots and coverage of the set from episode one. Oh, to put it in there. And they just reused it. Yeah. Hmm. And that's kind of cool because I oh, I guess I haven't seen episode two yet. But, like, theoretically, that's kind of smart and kind of cool. Like, you don't have to spend the money to rebuild that set. Yeah, exactly. And it's um, interesting too, but, like, and they, I mean, they weren't in that very often though, so you probably, no, and probably save some time in episode two. The thing is, it's a good, to me, this one's a good balance of building sets and practical things while yeah. mixing it with CG. Because if you look at, um, the going through the core, like the bongo they're driving is CG until they get out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, like in the interior is practical, but then like the, the shot that I still love to this day, and it's a dumb, it's such a dumb shot to love, but I do, is when they come out of the water, and they're climbing out of a physical, craft, thing, a physical submarine. It just yeah. it makes my heart so happy. Like, like it's just so. That's the stuff about Star Wars and about filmmaking in general that I love when it's like they actually made that. Like 
It's mm-hmm. just not the same when it's digital. Like when I see when I see pictures and stuff of, you know, the Avengers not wearing their costumes, they're just wearing motion capture shirt or like shoulder pads just, or something. Yeah, I just I get so there's a part of me that just gets so let down because it's like, but no, I want that physical thing, thing to, to be exist. There. Yeah, I want like and that's what I love about older movies. Like that's when they didn't the have tangibility. the option. And I think we, we, I think we've talked about this too. I don't know necessarily on the podcast, but we've definitely talked about it, you know, with each other. And that was really one of the thing that's so charming about older movies. Cause they didn't have like the digital escape button. You know what I mean? Like solve our problems, digital special effects. It was, you had to figure out how to make this happen. And some things were clearly impossible to make happen, but what they could make happen were always amazing. And I think it just really added to the charm of older movies and well, even you can even see today like there's just something missing from it with this, speaking, the amount of digital we have speaking as a filmmaker and someone who's made a movie like a lot like we had a, some feedback from a couple of our friends who said like you saw the creature effect in our yeah. movie people told us oh you should just cg over top of that and like number one we don't have the money or the means or the know-how to do that to do that so no <laughs> that's we number that. one but we knew that going in so yeah yeah, you know we built kind of a cheesy looking creature effect but it's still better than if we were to just take shoot nothing and then try to force in a bad cg bad practical is always going to look better than bad cg yeah 100 100 because yeah even though it's not great it still has that tangibility your actors can interact with it you can see it so it's not you're also not relying on actors being like what am I looking at? I well, have no it, idea. And like, it also fits in the scene, right? Like bad CG, you can tell it's not actually there. Like you can oh, tell yeah. like that is not something that's actually there because the lighting's all way off or it has no lighting at all or it looks stiff or flat. Um, yeah, bad practical is always better than bad CG. Oh, That being said, there is one bad practical effect that I am always happy that they fixed. I am eternally happy that they fixed. And I'm still confused by it to this day of how it even happens. But that is the Yoda puppet. <laughs> I I don't know. Even when you look at the Yoda puppet from that, if you look at any puppets for Yoda, he does not match from movie to movie. And I don't understand why. He's different from episode five to episode six. Not a huge difference, one. but a slight difference. It's, episode it's, one is the most jarring difference, though. The most jarring difference, gets, hands his down. It gets like pointy and he's more green and he's and got he's more hair way like, uglier like he just it's looks weird. terrible and yeah. then he looks episode terrible. one episode one he looks completely off and then even in episode eight when he makes his cameo he looks different than he does slightly in different yeah yeah and it's just like it it just baffles my mind and i don't understand why like maybe just different sculptures and guess but why wouldn't you just try and recreate that one that one look but then, yeah, and I get for episode even, one because it's earlier in time. But because Yoda's species lived so long, he probably wouldn't have changed all that much between well, in, episode in, one and five. Because it's like thirty years. Like, why yeah, would he yeah change between that? episode one and five? Yeah, roughly. Like what? Like why would he change that drastically when he's nine hundred yeah. by episode six? Yeah, like the the percentage doesn't make sense. No, one hundred percent. The that's, ratio. That's where of time. I'm. I didn't mind CG Yoda, especially in episode two when they did that. Yeah. I liked that design. It and made I thought, sense. Like, yeah. And it you looks, could see the honestly, it, it looks surprisingly well. As much as I love CG puppets, 
or CG puppets. I love practical puppets over CG puppets. Yeah. That Yoda was handled well, and I, I think it's because they took the time and effort and care to make him look good. And so they did they it after the that, fact, too, right? Like, they did it considerably time later. So it's not like they did CG right then, because then maybe it would have looked slightly off. But they brought the CG in consider, a considerable time later when it was actually better. Well, that's And that's where I'm, I'm really happy with... Um, I'm really, really happy that they went back and they painted over him for episode one because mm-hmm. there's a consistency now through all those three movies, yeah. through that trilogy. And it does, like, I rarely ever say that, but that is an instance where the, the it worked. CG it looked sense. better than the than the practical. Yeah. Because, like, you can do it. You can do practical great even today. I mean, we keep going back to The Mandalorian, or I do at least, but look at what they did with the child. Like, that's a good example oh, of how it's to so use good. yeah that's how to do practical right and i love it and practical so. nowadays is so much more um uh, complicated and i don't know if diverse is the right word but it's definitely more detailed than they could have made it back then uh you know back in further days like just looking at the animatronic that that little baby yoda was i'm like it's just so amazing how they captured his motions he looked so childlike like convinced me at the time when i watched that like max was you know just very very you know very baby and i'm like all the kind of little looks and stuff that he would give i could see it in yoda and i was like how did they capture that so perfectly that i believe this is like a little baby well, that's who's exploring the galaxy and that's i think and I just loved it Maybe that was the shame of what the early 2000s was, though, is that the technology wasn't far enough along in practical to make really great-looking practical, but CG wasn't far and along enough to make really good-looking CG. It was like this. It was and, this awkward, like, yeah, maybe time in history transition. And I feel stage. like now, what I'd love to see in film, I'd love to see more of that energy put into really good-looking practical. Practical, because I think effects, we're there. Yeah. I yeah. think I think 100% you're there. I think it's going to require some more engineers and stuff like that. But I think. Even if you look at what like the D- Disney Parks Imagineering crew can pull off and have I was, pulled off I even was before all this, I was literally just gonna say that, like watching the Imagineers on Disney Plus, I and love that documentary practi- so much. Oh, it was so good, and seeing uh, all the practical effects they use like around the park, you're like, why can't we? Like, there's no reason we can't. There's no. I mean, it'd probably be expensive, but how much more expensive than to do CGI? Like. And some things have to be CGI. Well, that's the thing. Some it's... things you can't build, but when you can, shouldn't you? Well, it's like even if you look at another parallel is actually Lord of the Rings. And I feel like every movie has like just one CG shot that hasn't aged well. Yeah. In Lord of the Rings, everything looks great. Everything looks amazing, except for there's one shot when they're crossing the mountaintops and they're crossing over top of it's like that big epic moment where the fellowship's walking and they cross over this mountaintop and then they cg they digitally put a uh ruins like a ruined castle on top of this mm. and it's the one cg effect where if you go back and watch it just that one shot you're like why why did you add that <laughs> no <laughs> it was fine the mountain was fine but but even at if the you time like in it. 2001 in 2001 that was amazing that was like yeah we didn't even pick up our brains didn't pick up that that wasn't real we were just like yeah. oh it's cool like i think that's kind of the other thing too is like as we've gotten excuse me as we've gotten older and as technology is furthered i think that's a big thing to remember too that things are things that looked great 
back then that were mind blowing back then. I mean, if you if you look at the Matrix movies, yeah. If you look at uh, especially yeah. the sequels, the first Matrix holds up. The second and third one, some of the effects don't hold up as well, and that's because at the time. That was amazing graphics. Now those are just our graphics for our PlayStations, right? Well, like, even even less, right? And, and as we continue to get better special effects and better CGI, of course we're going to look back at older stuff and be like, oh, really notice the difference. It's the same as when you played like your Xbox and now you're playing on Xbox. Xbox. Like when you started playing Nintendo. Okay, let's go back to even earlier. Like you look at a Super Nintendo and now you look yep. at what an Xbox One and PS4 can bring to the table. You're not like, wow, these graphics are, you know, so you really notice the difference because you got something extremely better. Even two generations before that, you can now really notice the pixelated things. And I find it hilarious because in my mind, when I think of old games I play, it's with current graphics in my head. Like, because that's oh, how you viewed them at the time, right? Then you go back and play them, you're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, but it's eyes, not shadows. Too, right? like, and that's exa- exactly the better CGI we get when you go back and look. Now you notice all the imperfections of when it wasn't as a refined technology. But you know where you don't notice that? Practical. With the practical effects. That's, Except that's an ugly Yoda. the real. <laughs> but I mean that we let's be honest, we all. That's knew a that design back thing, though. That's a design that. thing. That's not necessarily bad mm-hmm. practical. That was just bad design. Yes. He was somehow more wrinkly. <laughs> it, it was strange. It was a terror. I hated that design. I really, really did. Um, but like in general, the special effects hold up in that movie. Like the pod racing holds up. Uh, the fights, oh, yeah. the battles hold up. Dude, even once again, Jar Jar, the battle droids, and the uh, well, other Jar Jar holds and... up, and that is the most amazing thing. Like you can tell, they put a lot of quality effort into making Jar Jar's CGI. I want to say, uh, I want to say he's a. I want to say though he's a mix of CG and practical because I want to say that. Uh, I think he is slightly. I want to say he wore. I want to say that wore, he wore a suit. Mm, I, he wore ears, I think for sure. Because he I don't had, know how I'm much gonna... he I don't know much of a suit he wore. He that was one of the first motion capture things that happened though. But I don't know how much of it was a s- actual physical suit of Jar Jar. Uh, I don't know if I can send you a picture, but looking at it, no, he actually wore like a costume. And then they CGI'd over the costume kind of thing. I think so, yeah, because he even wore like a fake head. So that they would actually look at where Jar Jar's head was. Oh, like it's actually okay. it's actually really kind of cool, looking at this. Oh, you have to send that to me. That's, yeah, that's nifty. I dig it, man. But okay, so then you. it makes a practical and digital effects. But Jar Jar even holds up, like because the CGI on Jar Jar could have been so terrible that he sticks out like a sore thumb. But actually, those characters hold up much better than I thought they ever even would or had any like... right to be in 1991. And they probably yeah. touched it up too, I bet. Uh, when they went Matt, back it was in. uh it was nineteen ninety-nine, not nineteen ninety-one. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I said ninety one. Um, That's my birthday. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, Matt, hilarious. are we saying we're the same age? I think we might be. Is that why we were in school together for those years? Wow, that would make so much sense. <laughs> what the world Crazy. finally makes sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's stupid. Just uh, why we're friends. That's what makes sense. <laughs> Ah, uh, but yeah. No, anyway, I just thought special effects in that movie tops. Dude, no, they, they really were like job. compared 
compared to episode two, and again, maybe I'll change my mind when I rewatch episode two, but like compared to the episode two, even like the shots of Obi-Wan walking through the Jedi temple mm-hmm. are just so bad compared yeah. to anything else that they shot in, in episode one. Uh, like the verisimilitude, like the idea that this is a real place holds up well in episode one, as far as special effects, like you can feel the presence and they did use a lot of practical shots, but obviously, you know, some was a little CG or whatever, but, but again, episode two, you don't feel like a lot of those things are real. I think and that, I guess that was the movie that kind of really dove into the digital another, more so than anything. I think another thing that affects it too, though, and it's kind of ties into this, is this film is to- touted a lot as being like the first film that was shot on digital. Mm-hmm. But like parts of it were. Not entirely, just parts here and there. Most of it was still shot on film. Yeah. And some people say there's not much of a difference. There, There is, though. There's a, an intangible difference between shooting stuff on film and shooting it digitally. And I think there always will be. But this one, you can. I think that's also a part that plays in this too. That's why it feels more like the original trilogy when it comes to the shots and how things look, mm-hmm. versus later the, on. Yeah, and I think because I want to say, I even want to say that Force Awakens was shot on film. I think I'm not sure. This is where I'm. I'm finally learning to like Google things. <laughs> while if we're I don't talking. know stuff, I can Google it. Yeah, it was shot on uh, 35 millimeter. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so that to me, again, like that's honestly probably why I love that the look of that film so much too, right? Like, but yeah, so that's technically wise. I think that's what I really like about it. I like just the feel of it. So what about the music, Matt? How do you feel about the music? Or oh do you want to keep talking about the <laughs> No, no, we can move. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I think we touched. We talked a lot on special effects and the practicality of it all. No, I'm I'd good. Say so. Music nails it, man. John Williams nails it. Some of his best music is in this movie, and we talked about it clearly a couple episodes ago. Duel of the Fates. I love the music for the pod racing is right on point. Uh, the music in uh, like when it's going to depending on the characters or the moments in the different areas. Like it just you, it makes you feel part of the universe, and it's just the right sound for where they are at that time. Whether it's the council chambers or the senate chambers, or Tatooine or Naboo, everything feels perfectly right to where it's supposed to be. He nailed it. Nailed it. There is a fascinating thing when you actually look at John Williams and the time period at which he is actually writing music for. And you can see parallels in his different scores, even for different franchises. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you look at the original Star Wars films, you can see a lot of parallels with other stuff that he did for Spielberg, like uh, Raiders and the other Indiana Jones films, as well as, like, Close Encounters, all that kind of stuff. You can see parallels there. And when you get to this era of John Williams, and you listen to, like, this Star Wars soundtrack, they feel, it feels like Star Wars, but there is a distinct difference between the original trilogy soundtrack and the prequel soundtrack for sure. Yeah. And if you listen to the prequel trilogy and then you listen to the sound, uh, movies like hook, which came out in the nineties. Uh, if you listen to Harry Potter, mm-hmm. um, you can hear more of the groundwork that then ties into the prequel trilogy soundtrack. Then if you go even further and listen to like the sequel trilogy soundtrack, which I still love the soundtracks force awaken and rise of Skywalker. There's like, I'm I'm really excited to like analyze some of those soundtracks with you because there's some there's some tracks that I feel really get missed and overlooked. 
Right. When it comes to Rise of Skywalker, that no one is talking about, but I think is definitely the, worth looking at. Honestly, we but, yeah we can talk about it, but I I honestly have to at, do a deep dive deep dive into that. Mm-hmm. But when you look at those three movies as well, and you listen to more of what John Williams is doing more in modern movies, his sound has changed again, mm-hmm. and that's what I love about him as a composer, is that he not only knows how to write the best thing for the movie that he is a part of but also knows what sounds to use for the audience that you're going towards. Right. Right. And it's like, it's almost like he's, he's morphed. Well, he I, evolves as a creator and that's, and it's amazing. And like that, none of us ever stay the same. So that's good. <laughs> it's good that he's changing. Yeah. Well, his sound has changed and it works. Cause I'd argue too, that like, while they are star Wars, the tones of each trilogy have are their unique own tones. A hundred for sure. hundred yeah. percent. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's the beauty of it, right? Like, that's where I think I can't talk enough about his music in general, man. Like, he's just, mm-hmm. he's got such a magic. Like, if you want to talk about, like, modern day wizards or anything like that, John Williams, when it comes to how he writes music and how he handles music. How does he, he do it? Exactly. He's just he do it? a pure soul who uh, has access to some kind of higher power, I guess. He's just magic, man. I guess it would also... Training probably helps too, but like... (laughs) Yeah. But some things are just like natural talent, right? And whatever he taps into to bring that forth is just... Yeah. He's got a very good connection to it. And he makes it happen. Honestly, though, like I'm I'm actually surprised that you're talking about Rise of Skywalker. Because honestly, when I watch that movie again, the thing that I... One of the things I dislike about Rise of Skywalker so much is none of the music sticks out to me. And I don't know if it's the 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 balancing of the audio or how it was all mixed together, but there's so like the music rarely stands out to me. It's not like the other movies where I can pick up on the music right away and it makes me feel part of it. I'd honestly have to go and listen to the Rise of Skywalker soundtrack to hear the music cuz for some reason, I just can't pick up the music, and I don't know why. None of it sticks out to me as, like, God damn, this was it. This was the moment. Like, it just, it gets lost. I think there's just too much noise in that movie, and it gets lost. Not noise, like, literally, but just everything that's going on. In all honesty, though, I felt the same way with Last Jedi. Is that, like, those two soundtracks... Really? They yeah. get they get buried, whereas, like, Force Awakens, you hear Ray's theme when Ray's theme is supposed to be there, and, like, I picked up on that immediately. That's funny, because like, I would disagree with you, Last Jedi. I think Last Jedi has a great soundtrack. That's no, interesting. It, it bores me, man. I don't know why. It's just something, like... But we can talk about that at a different time. We can talk about like, another time. Yeah, like, yeah. But regardless, me, John Williams nails it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like again, like, like, he nails it every time, regardless. Like, it's just, it's... <clears throat> especially in this film yeah and that's that's the thing where i think the the, one of the strongest things to come out of the prequel trilogy is the music and it is the soundtrack like and that's just irrefutable i don't think i've met a single person who's like no i don't like the soundtrack to Mm -hmm. the prequels like you start playing duel of fates and everyone's like this is my jam yeah exactly right yeah yeah you can't not it is such an epic feeling uh piece of music it's amazing Okay, how about uh, performances? What did you think about the character performances in episode one? Depends on the moment, depends on the character, depends on the actor, depends on the direction too. 
Like, there's so many things that, like, there are good moments. There are... Well, for sure. that You say that in any movie, man. But just, what do you think? What'd you think? I mean, like, overall, I would I would disagree that you could say with any movie, because there are some movies where it's a consistent, consistent level of performance throughout. Yeah, but if you change the director or the actor, then it kind of depends on that, too, doesn't it? I don't know if George Lucas is the best person to direct children. <laughs> I just, you know, overall, but yeah. Like, I felt like the performances, especially from, like, the children or from the child, Jake Lloyd, wasn't fully there. But again, that's no fault of his, because he's, he's a child. He's he's learning as he goes, and I think the amount of hate that he got for what he did... Undeserved. ...was 100% undeserved. Yeah. Because... And actually, pretty... Nah, like... That actually sometimes makes me angry and a little sick. Because it's like, this is a kid, man. I don't care how much you love Star Wars. This was a kid. <laughs> well, it's the same It's the same thing to people who got mad at the kid who played Joffrey in Game of Thrones, right? Like, they're taking it out on this fictional character. And it's like, like on a real person. Like, they're like, I hate this fictional character. Therefore, you as a real person must suffer. And it's the same yeah. thing with this. It's like, you portrayed a character that I didn't like the portrayal of. So I'm going to go after you. And it's like why like that's that's real awesome and you know it was adults because kids loved it kids didn't have a problem it's grown-ass adults that are picking on a yeah. nine-year-old that always just blows my mind like grow up man and that's why i think for me and you as people again we when we went and saw this we were the same age yeah and growing up with that yeah we grew up and we kind of like looked back and it was like oh that wasn't maybe a great choice of direction or maybe that wasn't a great line delivery but we also understood do you think me or you could have done a better job when we were nine? Exactly. Yeah. No. And that's that's also where, going back to discussing, like, story-wise, if they would have aged up Anakin a little bit more. Yeah. You probably could have got a better performance out if you would have aged him up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's something that I think could have been better. There's, like, arguably, there's a director who I feel can direct any age of child and get a great performance. And there's a few of them. But the one that keeps coming back to my mind is Spielberg. Well, he can do everything, right? Like, that guy's magic. Him and Williams are like the team, man. Magic. Every time. I, that, that's why we're doing a marathon based just around <laughs> yeah. Spielberg, man. Yeah. Like, it's just so good. But it's... Not everyone can handle directing kids, and I think, unfortunately, George Lucas is one of those people. Yeah. And that's kind of where it fell flat a little bit for me. And... I think some of the problems with the trilogy comes to the fact, and this is kind of talking about the direction overall, it kind of comes to the fact of that at the power that he was at, being a producer, being a writer, being a director, he was kind of at a place where whatever he said was going to be the final word. No That's what, what went, yeah. And I think that can sometimes be problematic as a, as a storyteller and as a creator. If you don't have people questioning your motivations and what you want to do, you don't question it yourself and sometimes you sit there like speaking for myself i'll sometimes sit there and i'll be like oh well if i just think this is a great idea and i'll keep thinking that until i show it to someone else and they say hey no that's not a good idea yeah then i'll start thinking about that on the flip side though the reverse happens where i'm like this is a crappy idea and then i show someone they're like no this is great and then it's like oh Okay, well, let me terrible. take a deeper look at this yeah well sometimes you just need different perspective we can't always see everything and it's hard to judge our work all the time um 
Because honestly, you can write something and in that moment, you're like, this is brilliant. You can go to sleep, wake up the next day and do nothing in between but sleep and look at it and be like, this is the biggest piece of crap I have ever read in my life. So it's hard for creators and people who are working on these things to actually judge their own work and to have people who are willing to say, this is good, this is bad. Have you thought of this? Uh, Maybe look at it from this perspective. Uh, you need those type of things too. And when George Lucas is the end all and be all, then that can create problems. And I'm not saying it's just George Lucas, but if anyone's in that situation, it can be a potential issue. Exactly. Spielberg could probably handle it, but he, I mean, (laughs) but I'm sure he has also has people. He bounces stuff off as well. So Um, Spielberg doesn't write most of his own stuff. In fact, I don't think he's written anything recently, but I mean, I just, a man is like a director. So, but but that's the yeah. thing is you still have you still have those different layers of jobs. Whereas, unfortunately, even if you look at the original trilogy, um, George Lucas came up with a story for all three movies. Yeah. But he didn't necessarily write the script and the dialogue and all that kind of stuff. Whereas for the prequel trilogy, I thought he writes. I I thought he wrote the scripts or at least nope, part of um, them. He didn't direct all the movies. Like he directed four, and then five and six were different directors. Screenplay uh, for episode five and episode six, he had Lawrence Kasdan working on it with him. Right, he right. had someone to work with. With, him. yeah, and that's and that's honestly to me, that's where you get the strongest Star Wars films mm-hmm. is when you have a team working on it because that's even um, cooperation and collaboration makes some great stuff. Because if you look at some of the scripts, even with like the original Star Wars, and you compare the dialogue of that to Return of the Jedi and Empire specifically like there's obviously there's stronger dialogue in the two second films Mm -hmm. and then if you look at the dialogue in episode one two and three where it's written solely by lucas again you can see it's not quite as good as it could be it's a little like uh, i don't know i feel like sometimes it's a little like wooden or awkward how it comes across yeah it's just not it's not the best written dialogue for sure even how even how the Jedi interact with each other, like of course my master, yes master, like after everything, it's like oh goddamn, I need it every time. Like it's yeah. just even things like that. How it was just it seemed. I don't know. I don't know. Like is uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, but I can't really think about it. It's not stale, but it just felt stiff, right? Like it just unnatural. Maybe is probably the bit better of the word. It falls under that idea of what melodrama is, right? Like, it's it's definitely a heightened reality of... Yeah. It's definitely more fantasy-based. Yeah. And it reminds me very much of, like, especially if you look at those older Sword and Shield movies from, like, back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what it reminds me of. And technically, you could, you could say that that's what Star Wars, especially the prequels, are. Because they are, like... They are more of a heightened fantasy because yeah. we're at the height of the Republic. We're at the point where it's like, yeah, the Jedi are at their strongest and all that kind of stuff. But you can still say, you can still deliver those lines and you can still have those lines and have them be believable. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what, I think a lot of it felt to me and you at points is that people are just saying their lines rather than acting them. Yeah, for sure. I would say it. Like, some of them are just... But some of the lines are just unnatural to say, right? And I think they're given and performed in the best way they can. But it is unnatural things to actually say. Like, some things you can write, and they write fine, but they don't speak fine, right? Like, you wouldn't actually say that. And unfortunately, a lot of those lines fell too 
Anakin. Yeah. It felt like, like, now this is pod racing. Okay. Let's try spinning. That's a neat trick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Even something as simple as saying, yippee. Are you an angel? Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's no fault oh, of... That's no that's fault of Jake Lloyd's. No. No, because, I mean, like, give that to... Give that to any actor. Yeah. It's going to sound stupid, the, the one, The one actor I've been able to counter that with, because someone asked me... Um, even with like episode two and the I hate sand lines. Yeah. They're like, you can't give that to any actor and make it good. I'm like, aha, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> he's sometimes he's like so bad. He's good. Like he's not a bad actor. He's actually a great actor, but like sometimes just he's in such a variety of movies. It boggles my mind. Dude, Community has a great episode on it where Abed tries to like figure out if Nicolas Cage is good or bad. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's worth the watch. I'm not going to tell you what happens. You might have seen it already, but like I did a while ago, but I haven't. I haven't got to that point in the rewatch yet. Re revisit it. It's it's so good. It's so worth it. And it's true. It's very true. Yeah. It's, so it's hard to figure it out. But yeah, that's 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 to your me, take. That's just kind of where a lot of it fell flat. Is just the direction could have been a bit better, stronger. Yeah. It, yeah, it could have been stronger, and I think that depends on who you surround yourself with. And I, we weren't on set, so we don't know how things were handled. But yeah. it comes across as though there wasn't a lot of questioning the decisions that were made. For sure. And I think, and it, but again, like that's just our take. That's our take as outsiders, right? As not actually being on set. Yeah, from what it looks like. Yeah. We could be very wrong, and like I'm more than fine accepting the fact that i could be wrong in that set because uh, in that sense because you just you never know until you're there you never know how things go yeah i agree with you i think the direction could have been stronger uh obviously like we said the writing could be stronger i think the performances actually were pretty spot on for who they were written to be like who they were supposed to be as characters i felt the performances were as strong as they could be and like you said Jake Lloyd, we said he did actually a pretty good job for what he had as far as directing and what his lines were. You know what I mean? Yep. Like he's a nine year old kid. He's not gonna have the the depth of experience to be able to take bad writing and communicate it in a better and stronger way, right? Like he's just a kid. So his lines are gonna be very much based on the writing and the direction that he gets. Uh where the other actors, I thought most of them, for the most part, I said, I thought they were pretty spot on. For who the characters needed to be in this film. Like, even looking at, like, genuinely looking at any of the other actors, I don't really have much of a problem with them. Yeah. Like, Obi-Wan was great. Ewan McGregor is fantastic in it. Yeah. Um, Liam Neeson was Liam great Neeson as Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon. Yeah. Even Natalie Portman as Padme, she was good, she yeah. was good too, right? And What she needed to be. Even Captain Jar Jar. Jar. Even for what Jar Jar was supposed to be. Like, I don't blame Ahmed Best. For the portrayal of Jar Jar. Because even what he was supposed to be, he actually did a good job. Even if we don't about... like Jar Jar, even if we don't like the character or the writing behind it, his performance was spot on for what the character was. Well, apparently he also put a lot of himself into that character. Like mm. a lot of the choices he made. And he yeah. put in, and that's when suddenly there's that backlash in him, like getting hated on for jar jar he took it personally and he got into a dark place like there's he's talked about it more recently where there was like a point where he was just he was just done like and that's tragic and the fact again like the fact and that's why i like i genuinely do feel bad 
talking about things I disliked about this stuff because at the end of the day, it's people who are behind it's, it. It's Genuine people who are behind people. it, and yeah. they've put they've put so much energy and effort into this that even if it turns out not great or turns out bad or turns out not how I as an audience member want that still doesn't dismiss the fact that they put a lot of effort and energy yeah. into it. It's the same thing with, it's the same thing with George Lucas, like the amount of hate yeah. he got for it all. At least he did something and at least he, he did try. And that's why I don't sit there and criticize them as human beings. You know, you can't, but you know, we, you have to be able to communicate what works and what doesn't work for you as far as like art goes or like the creations that they made, but them as humans, like the fact people would gang up on people and like throw hate at them. Uh, for these creations is like dude like i criticize jj abrams i criticize kathleen kennedy for what happened with episode nine and like that whole situation right and it's no one person's fault for episode nine but like as people i'm not gonna be like they're the worst human beings ever and they should suffer and burn well, exactly like, you're not no they like you're not going out there saying like these people are little human garbage you're just i just didn't like what they put together and what ultimately came Exactly. And it's it's the idea of there's a difference between critiquing the art and critiquing the artist. Yeah. And I think that's something that really needs to change. Like even for my own perspective on things, even for a lot of people's perspective on things, I think changing shifting the focus from, OK, your art isn't that great to like, well, this person is garbage because they yeah. didn't do what I wanted them to. And a lot of times that's what people's reasoning for disliking stuff is, is like, well, you didn't do what I wanted you to. And mm-hmm. that's kind of that's a really childish way of criticizing it's really selfish it's really really selfish to think that way just because someone didn't do the thing you wanted them to do well and then their next piece of work you might love so you can't necessarily hate you can't hate the person it's just that work that they put out maybe it wasn't for you prime example of this so i'm i'm not a big fan of last jedi like Mm -hmm. i don't hate it but i don't love it i didn't like looper that much either but I loved Knives, Knives Out. It's all the same. It's Ryan Johnson writing and yeah. directing all three. And Knives Out was amazing. I would thoroughly recommend that film to anybody. It was so good. But that I don't like some of his other films. And that's perfectly acceptable. You don't need to like every film that someone makes. Yeah. I guarantee you there's, well, Tarantino's films. I'm not a huge fan of Kill Bill, but I really like The Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Like... It's with any filmmaker. It's with any creator. Just because someone, even if you break it down to painting, well, I might not like this painting someone did, but I might like this one. Or if you want to break it down to music and songwriting, I don't like this song, but I like this album. Mm -hmm. Like, art is subjective, and you should never take it out on the artist. Yeah. Like, if the artist has done something terrible and really crappy as a person, then you can be like, That's a different story. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like Roman Polanski. You know, that's an example of someone you can be like, that's a garbage human being because he did things that are not like as a human. That's not that's reprehensible. You can't defend that. Yeah. But to sit there and say, well, I disliked his movie. Therefore, I think he's a garbage human being. No, that's that's not how it works. You can't blame. You can't base your opinion on someone on their art. Yeah. Like and I think that's just that's unfortunately a. It's a thing that happens too much in, especially in nowadays, where they just kind of tie everyone. Yeah, bag on exactly. One, it's they just put it all in the same basket, and they're like, "Oh nope, this is how it is." And it just it it irks me to no end. Like it does. Like it's just it's it's silly. It's a silly mentality, 
and I think I've said enough about it. And I'm going to stop talking <laughs> about it now because I'm going to get caught in a loop otherwise. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Sounds good. But yeah, no, I thought, I don't know. I thought the performances were fine. Even like Jar Jar, I felt like he was the equivalent of like Mr. Magoo or like an inspector like Clouseau. And I was, I was, as I was watching, especially the final fight, because like he's screwing up left, right, and center, but yet it somehow is all working out for him. <laughs> like, I'm like, this guy is straight up Mr. Magoo over here. And I think maybe even that's what they were going for ultimately. It just didn't really work. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> but, the, the, problem, yeah. the problem would kind of come down to like, I think it's because they made him too much of a cartoon character by the mm-hmm. end of it. And again, that was just a creative decision they made. Yeah. But like having him be a complete klutz plus the silly voice, plus the crazy arms, plus the crazy ears, <laughs> the plus crazy. the Yeah, exactly. Like Yeah. But like at the same time though, that totally ties together really well into one character. Mm-hmm. And like it works in a weird way. It doesn't work, but it works. And it's just... Yeah. It's it's a really... Jar Jar is a bizarre being that belongs in his own category of character. Universe, for sure. Like, he's just... he's Jar Jar is essentially a Looney Tune in the Star Wars universe. That is the best way I can describe him. And sometimes animated characters don't uh, really work in the real life well it's, films. here's the thing if you threw jar jar binks into space jam he'd fit yeah like fair enough i i, I could i now i want that crossover he'd probably be great binks. at basketball too he'd probably just nail He's it man tall got arms yeah yeah he can jump he look can how jump high he high. jumps yeah into the water yeah yeah I see agree. now i just want a crossover between space jam and uh star wars with jar jar Binks. you should write a letter <laughs> space Dear jam Disney 2 and warner brothers pitch it for pitch it for space jam 3 You're like we need forget, a star wars crossover forget lebron james give me jar jar, <laughs> jar banks <laughs> oh man like, but like no it's if i think again like for what it is for the time period it is too because a lot of people forget it is a 90s movie yeah and like not to dog on the entirety of 90s, because we kind of grew up in that era. But there's a lot of movies that don't have good acting or good performances in the 90s. Yeah. And, like, that's... It's no fault of the people who are in the movies. It's, it's just it's, how again, it was. Yeah. One, like... So there's there's also the school of thought, too, that, like, just because... Um, something is... Or just because something is in the movie doesn't mean it's always the best shot that was for that movie, depending. Yeah. Because there's actually been there's a lot of pettiness and stuff that has happened where like if someone doesn't like a specific actor they'll go out of the way to pick the worst shots for the actor she's just yeah it happens and it's dumb and it makes me angry because it's just like no do your job do your job the best to your ability yeah um but like it's just it's one of those things of just because and just because maybe me as an actor i gave my best take in take two but the director really likes the camera work in take three. I didn't get my best performance, but the director likes the way that it looks. And he likes that performance better than I do. So he's going to pick the take that wasn't my best performance, but he thinks it is. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so many layers to making a film and putting together a film. Yeah. That it's really hard to cri- criticize the performances on their own. It's really hard to criticize even the screenwriting on their own. Like, there's so many moving pieces and parts 
that I'll go into it. You want to talk about the big picture, Matt? Yeah, let's move on. Okay, let's move on to the big picture. So themes, characters, relationships, arcs. I I just realized your shirt is Iron Man. I thought it was like... I've been trying to figure it out all day. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> is it like, is it like the New Balance logo? Because it kind of looks like an N and a B, maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, no. And then I was like, then I was like, oh no, it's a Ninja Turtle shirt, but it's not green. Why? Like, why <laughs> is it Ninja not green? Shirt. Well, because the sh- that looks like their shell. Oh, oh man, fair like, enough. Okay, yeah. And then I get finally, what you're going for it. Yeah. And then finally, in back, and I see Iron Man, and I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm just really dumb. <laughs> that's pretty funny man (laughs) uh all right let's take a look at the big picture here how does this movie star wars episode one uh fit into the big picture as far as themes characters relationships all that sort of fun stuff um i'll just start this off because we already kind of briefly touched on this point so we won't spend too much more time on it but clearly star wars episode one we already talked about it's critical for palpatine's rise the conflict everything that happens in this movie was a critical piece in putting Palpatine in the position he needed to be in. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. The, I the, think it starts out... It starts just introducing him and his motivations right from the get-go. Yeah. It doesn't waste any... Like, he shows up right away. Like, right away he shows up, and you know he's behind everything. Um, And that's really how this one fits in, as far as, like, for his arc, right? He needs to have this moment... And we need to see him kind of controlling both sides. Like, it really sets up the whole Clone Wars conflict and how he's going to be, again, controlling both sides. Uh, But again, it's always just to get what he wants, right? What he needs to be in the position um, that he needs to be in. Looking at how he's even manipulating Padme during the Senate scenes and just kind of explaining, oh, now this is going to happen. It's so sketchy and so unsettling. Yeah. And then... Even like when you and then when you go to episode two, I think it is when he's talking about accepting the responsibilities of these emergency powers, and I like it's such a politician, it's such a greasy thing where he's just like, like I think the greasiness comes from we know what's going on, yeah. we know that he's running the show, and but everyone's this. fooled by it, yeah. It's such a it's such a chilling, chilling moment, like. And you really see, like, this guy is, like, 30 steps ahead of everybody else. Like, he is, like, just the precision, and he's figured out how to make things happen, how to rise to power, how to claim power over everyone, absolute power, in a democracy, which shouldn't be easy to claim absolute power. But he's also figured out how to do all these things and also have a way to exterminate the Jedi like that you know like his end game's still in place he's not like i'm in power now now how do i kill the jedi like no it was all part of the same plan order 66 we're just gonna yeah. slide that on in there and yes hid behind that from everyone else so it's just really interesting and this really sets up and a lot of things that we're going to talk about in this kind of segment set up so many things for the trilogy that's to come but this one's definitely critical for palpatine's rise and ultimately the whole saga in itself. I think I think we can both agree that the setup, for me at least, the setup a lot of stuff for the trilogy for like the prequels. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm really happy though that it didn't necessarily in this movie at least it didn't set up a bunch of stuff for episode four, five, and six. Like this this one specifically, and it kind of changes from movie to movie, but like this one 
episode one definitely left the original trilogy untouched. Yeah. And I appreciated that because it wasn't messing with the things I already knew. It was just mm-hmm. its own thing. It was its own thing and it was starting off its own story. And while it ties into them, it just kind of... It would be like if instead of pod racing, they, for some reason, decided to show Anakin going after womp rats in a T... Was it Whatever. T-16? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's things like that where it's... They didn't rely solely on hearkening back to episodes four, five, and six. No. They just made their own story and introduced new elements. It and was that's its what own I liked. thing. I liked that. Like, yeah. I liked the world building that we got. I, I liked that we got to... We didn't see any planets minus Tatooine that... Um, you already knew. Yeah. Like, At that point, yeah. There are people who I've heard say, like, oh, well, you could easily fix why people... You could easily fix episode one by just changing the name from uh, Naboo to Alderaan. And I'm like, like why no, would you do that, though? I wouldn't want that in the slightest. Yeah. I like Alderaan being its own place thing. Yeah. I like I like that a lot more than if they were to force this whole trilogy just to be on two planets, basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it wouldn't really make sense like if it was Alderaan anyway, because the whole idea was like the kids were supposed to be hidden from Vader. So, like, if they're just hidden back on her home planet, like, where the mom came from, that's not really hidden, is it? <laughs> uh, and on both on both home planets. Yeah, like, like, exactly, yeah. It's not necessarily um, hidden. Yeah, exactly. That would be dumb. <laughs> one is enough. One is enough. And then the other one, but... Uh, just even character relationships and stuff like that, too. I think the only thing I wish it would have had a stronger setup for would be the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin. Because I feel like I feel like they didn't share really any screen time together, and again, that makes like I guess it makes sense, but it doesn't to me at the same time for how close of friends they were. And that's like I, I keep going back to the same point where I wish they would have aged up Anakin a bit, so there might have been a bit more of a rivalry between yeah, sure. him and Obi Wan, just kind of show a bit more of a rocky. I think friendship. I think that was already I think that was kind of shown in a way. Uh, I think what they set up in this movie wasn't necessarily the friendship or the brotherhood that they would share later on. But I think it kind of, a lot of the things were set up in moments that set up the tension that would always kind of exist between them. Because that never left. Whether it was, you know, whether they, you know Obi-Wan maybe felt abandoned by Qui-Gon or whether... Anakin had felt that Obi-Wan really had accepted him or not, right? There is a those were subtle layers in there that really brought forth the tension that's going to exist between the two characters. And that's what I appreciated in that setup. And that tension never goes away. Like Anakin's always going to know in some part of his brain and some part of his feelings that Obi-Wan didn't accept him right away, that he said the council was dangerous, that he was on the council's side. There's always going to be another section in moment for Anakin that he wished Qui-Gon would have lived, right? He, Qui-Gon took this kid away from his home, essentially became his father, died, and now Anakin is left not with this father figure, but with this other figure, maybe a brother we could say, but who never accepted him or wanted him in the first place, right? And that's the person who's going to teach him. That's why to me, like I'm saying, I would like to see more of that, you know? I would have liked to have explored that a bit more and spent more time. If there was more time, like, that's the problem. With the pacing of the movie and how it is, you could have dedicated more to that or more to Anakin and Padme. 
And I think it would have been a lot less weird if they would have dedicated more time to Obi-Wan and Anakin than Anakin. Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And and that's that to me I would have liked to have just seen more more of that kind of hostility or even that like dismissal from Obi-Wan and kind of Anakin yeah. not jiving with it, right? Like I just kind of feel like that would have been a bit stronger. Yeah, I think you could I think you could have set up, but I think like a lot of things when you look at episode one and watch it. A lot of the things aren't like right in your face. Like this is how it's going to happen. It's, it's subtle. It's... You got to pay attention and you got to be looking for these character interactions. Um, like again, like I said, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan were arguing and Anakin's freaking right there. There's no way the kid didn't hear. You know what I mean? Like when they're getting on the ship to go back to Naboo and Obi-Wan's like, the council's right. Like everyone can sense he's dangerous. Why can't you? And Anakin's right. I don't think Anakin's he's there. right there no because isn't that the time that isn't that when anakin is getting quizzed by the no, council no that's at they start arguing when they're on the shuttle uh when they're getting ready to board the ship and go on to uh go to naboo because qui-gon says to obi-wan that'll be enough for you get on the ship like shuts him down right away and anakin is right there with r2 when obi-wan and qui-gon are arguing so like even moments like that right like it sets the stage for the relationship that they're going to have further on. I would I would counter where they do finally get past that by episode three. The beginning of episode three, not the end. Obviously, by the end, they're very conflicted. But like, <laughs> I was like, man, they can't try to kill each other. But the first act, they're friends. They've reached a point where they genuinely... When, when Obi-Wan says that he loves Anakin, I believe him. Yeah. And I believe Anakin loved him too. I, I genuinely believe. Well, for sure. Like Obi-Wan didn't, yeah. And Obi-Wan didn't know really Anakin. But I think from, I think it's not so much an Obi-Wan's point of view. I think it's an Anakin's point of view where this applies. Because at the end of the day, like Anakin still was like, yeah, I'm dead. I'm going to kill Obi-Wan and I'm not going to hesitate about it. And I'm not going to care. Like I'm still going to kill him. So that's a whole thing though that I'm confused by. Not confused by, but kind of his interesting layers of the characters. Because Jedi are taught to, like, detach and not grow attachments and stuff like yeah. that. But Anakin, or Obi-Wan, in that moment, bluntly admits that he was attached to Anakin. Yeah. Right? Well, that's why like, their code is so all over the place and doesn't really make sense or isn't very practical. But I love but I love that about those characters because mm-hmm. that actually expresses, like, that line has so much more weight when you look at it from the Jedi perspective than it does, honestly, how I've been looking at it for the last however many years since Star Wars came out from episode three came out. Yeah. Like, because that there immediately undercuts everything he's taught Anakin and everything that he's been taught. And he finally admits that like, no, I grew attached to you. Mm -hmm. This is why this is so tragic is because we were brothers. We were like, we are family and Jedi don't really believe in family. Like this is, that's huge. I love that. And you chose something else. Yeah. No, you, you betrayed our friendship yeah. and you betrayed. I love that. I new respect for the ending of episode three. I love <laughs> that monologue regardless. I love that moment regardless, yeah. but that's just elevated it to a whole extra deeper layer. It's like total side tangent here, but like, um, we were talking, me and my roommate were talking about episode five and how Darth Vader doesn't say, I want the princess and I want um Han or anything like that he specifically says I want that ship he wants the Millennium Falcon because he realizes the Millennium Falcon is the baddest ship out there <laughs> and that's the that's the piloting nerd coming out on him being like 
I want that. I want to fly that because holy so crap. <laughs> like think about that from the perspective of like Anakin in episode two or three being like, ooh, that's a shiny new ship. I want to try that because that looks like fun. That's 100% his motivation for wanting the ship. It's not because he wants what's on the ship. He just wants that for himself. I think it might be it might be a balance of 50-50. That, that's what shot him, dude, that's what shot him out of the sky in uh episode 4. <laughs> he's like he's like, "No, no, I want that now. My tie advance isn't that advance. I want this old Corellia freighter that's apparently <laughs> better than anything I could have." <laughs> and like that's such childish motivations, but I love that as my head cannon. I love thinking about it from that perspective because it's cannon. It's so Anakin, though. It's 100% so Anakin, where it's just like, yes, that's the ship I want. I would <laughs> like, like to fly that. Yes, it'd be good. But your yeah, ship is no, mine now. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I think this thing, I think ultimately this movie and the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan set up the tension that's there, and it's a deep-rooted thing. Like, even though they're friends in Episode Three at the beginning... Like, there's got, like, if they, if Obi-Wan had accepted Anakin like that, didn't question the council, he was totally with Qui-Gon, he's like, man, I'm all in on training this kid, let's do it, and Anakin saw that and felt that, you think Anakin still would have betrayed Obi-Wan? Like, at the end, like, maybe he'd say, screw the rest of the Jedi, but do you think he would have betrayed Obi-Wan? Like, if out of anybody, Obi-Wan should have been able to reconnect and bring Anakin back, but it was because of this thing that was still there and always will remain there that was so deeply rooted uh ultimately led anakin to decide you know padme over obi-wan because padme showed him compassion and love obi-wan didn't at the end of the day well there goes the counter to my argument about seeing more animosity because if you just don't see it but you see her caring about him that kind of just sets it up there of why padme is so much more important to him again the only thing that makes it weird is the age that's literally it also a woman <laughs> yeah but like so we'll say that say that padme ignored him and obi-wan gave him the attention then yeah i'd have a hard time believing that he would abandon obi-wan and the jedi for padme well i right? think yeah like and i i feel like ultimately if obi-wan would have been with them right from the beginning it would have been a whole different story right but and those are the subtle things that they drop in these movies that really you know you have to think about and you have to consider human beings right like we're not just talking about characters and like how plot points set up yes that too but how human beings actually interact and hold on to things that we don't necessarily always think we hold on to right or we're very outright like anakin wasn't like you were a dick to me when i was a kid so screw you man but that knowledge that he always held with him that obi-wan never truly accepted him he did after the words after he trained him and got to know him and they became brothers and friends but at the beginning obi-wan never truly accepted him he also thought he was dangerous he obi-wan belonged to the jedi not to this little family that anakin had with qui-gon like and that's ultimately what anakin betrayed the jedi including obi-wan obi-wan was a part of the jedi But yeah, it's interesting how they set that up. Um, I think there's also interesting, like, Anakin's, just in a parallel, Anakin's transformation of character. Like, from Anakin Skywalker, little nine-year-old boy who's like, nice to meet you and so nice, to ultimately becoming Darth Vader. And you see, even in the original trilogy, right? Such a parallel in character. 
Such a parallel. Oh, yeah. Like, Anakin is like, he's like, come to my house, you know, we'll look after you, watch out for the sandstorms, I'll race for you, I'll get you your parts. Like, he's always trying to help others, right? And then he becomes Darth Vader, and he's like, kill everyone. <laughs> it's the total, total opposite. It's such a weird thing that he, like, just invites these strangers over to his house, and his mom's like, welcome. Okay. <laughs> in a greasy she's, planet too right <laughs> she's not even like okay she's just like i i guess so yeah all right like i feel like anakin's one of those characters that he kind of got away with doing whatever he wanted to do as long as it didn't get them in trouble with Watto. Mm -hmm. she just kind of let him do anything yeah like i don't like i don't know if she ever disciplined him i have and no maybe, idea <laughs> maybe if she would have given anakin some spankings he would have not turned out to be the dark lord of the sith wow maybe he didn't need them <laughs> You don't know that, man. Maybe he was a terror. I don't... <laughs> I'm just making things up. I'm just... I'm just... At this point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, like, yeah, no, it's interesting to see that shape. And I think, like, I think that's maybe part of it, too, is, like, we started to see that darkness creep in by episode two, but I think, honestly, there probably... And, again, there probably could have just even been, like, a moment or two. I guess, no, there was a moment. There, there was a couple, when yeah. When he, when he's talking to the Jedi Council and he kind of snaps at Yoda and uh, Mace Windu about, like, what does that have to do with anything? But if there would have been, like, more moments of him just being, like, showing that there is possibly a darkness to him, because yeah. kids have that, like... Oh, for sure. Everyone, kids are, everyone kids are spazzes, that. man. Kids lose their shit all the time. Like, when you, when you like, were a kid? Yeah, all the time, man. I was just a rager. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, hulking out over here. Like, one of the very, again, subtle things, too, when when Mace Windu's like, no, he will not be trained. Like, Anakin totally squinty eyes that guy. Like, just stares him down. Like, it's like, you motherfucker. Kill you, right? It's interesting, though. <laughs> it's interesting. What about um, another relationship that I thought was actually interesting one that I never really thought about till this last viewing is the relationship between Palpatine and Padme and how that completely deteriorates oh, yeah, no. from movie to movie. And especially in well, this Well, because essentially, it's it's essentially a parallel of um, Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship where he was her mentor. Mm -hmm. And eventually, and Obi-Wan and Anakin are, you know, mentor apprentice as well. But there's a definite divergence. There's a more reasonable divergence for padme and palpatine's split up yeah versus anakin's and obi-wan's is still like a very sudden and okay i guess that had to happen yeah whereas like palpatine and padme suddenly become two different sides of the political spectrum specifically padme's all like but no democracy and palpatine when his true colors start showing about no i'm gonna remain in power she sees through that and that's when she starts losing touch with her mentor yeah right that's when she starts figuring out something's not right and it's actually great because palpatine in episode two uses that relationship with padme to manipulate jar jar mm -hmm. because he has his blue judge guy specifically i there is no way that wasn't orchestrated by palpatine to say that moment of if only Senator Amidala was here to, like, do this. Oh, for sure, yeah. Because there's no for way. Sure. If, Pad if Padme was there, I don't believe for a second that Padme would have done that. Done what they wanted her to. Yeah. But they knew to manipulate Jar Jar that way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of weird. And that's really twisted and kind of sick that he used his relationship with her 
to manipulate someone else. Yeah. Well, it just shows you what character is. But it was just, I thought it was very interesting because, again, in this one, they're clearly very close. Like, there's a lot of mutual respect between both of them as characters. And then episode two, you can see there's a divergence. They're more separate apart. They're more, you know, not necessarily arguing, but she doesn't agree with Palpatine on a lot of things. And by episode three, she doesn't even talk to the guy. You know what I mean? Like, they're totally separated at that point. So I just thought it's it was a very interesting... Because I, I always think of the... When I think of the prequels, I don't always think of episode one. I generally think of what happens in episode three. Uh, so to go back and watch episode one and be like, oh yeah, Palpatine and Padme were pretty tight. They were pretty tight back in the day. No, it's interesting. It's it's And it's... I wish they would have taken it the step forward or step further and there's a subplot in episode three that they set up that they deleted from the movie where a bunch of the senators were actually debating joining the separatists because mm-hmm. they didn't like the way that the um, Republic was going. I mean, cause it's a deleted scene, isn't it? It's a, it's a series of deleted scenes. Mm. There's not just one. There's like, four or Multiple. five that set up this whole thing where like Padme was ready to leave the Republic in order to like fight for democracy because she saw where it was going mm-hmm. and I really think as much as I understand why they cut it because pacing and people complained about the politics and stuff um, I really really wish that they would have kept that in there because I feel like that was such a strong thing but anyway my, my point remains um, it's a plot they shouldn't have cut in my opinion they really they could have kept it in there and i think it would have given a bit more depth to padme's character as opposed to just kind of they end they start her off as a strong character episode two she's a strong character and then by the third one she is nothing she does nothing I'm the in mother that movie. of your child yeah yeah they needed her to do something and they had nothing for her yeah and like it's just she was really like, pushed if, to a side character it would have been fascinating even if she like went into hiding with Leia mm-hmm. and like poses like Leia's uh, Leia's nanny for a while and then eventually died or something like that. Like that would have been an interesting layer. Like would have made a little bit more sense too in comparison to what Leia remembers of her <laughs> from the old trilogy. But yeah, yep. <laughs> like it's just there's there's things that don't quite make sense with her character and it's a shame because even watching this film like. As much as there's a bit of weird stuff with like her whole switcheroo thing, mm-hmm. um, it still sets up a strong. She's leader, a good especially character. At the, age yeah. of, at the age of fourteen, she calls a basically calls her country to war. Yeah, like that's that's something worth explaining and exploring. Like, and they just don't. They whittle her down to Anakin's love interest, and that's the real shame. That is absolutely hundred percent. Um, let's talk about your favorite character, Qui Gon Jinn. Let's talk about his I love death. Let's talk about his death a little bit more and um, how that affects like the greater saga of things. Um, have you watched Galleries on The Mandalorian? Not yet, no. So it's really, really interesting little series. I'd actually highly recommend watching that if you're interested in behind the scenes stuff. If you're not, don't worry about it. But if you are, very good. Uh, I Dave, Dave Filoni talks about the purpose of Darth Maul in episode one and how killing Qui-Gon was such a critical part for the overall saga and what needed to happen. And he explains it very similar to, you know, how 
I've always thought about, but there's definitely a difference between what I think and he thinks. But just to sum up what he thinks, you know, or how he feels that Qui-Gon is the father figure and he's fighting against Darth Maul. He's fighting for Anakin because he knows he has to be the one to teach this kid, to raise this kid, to bring him up. Ultimately, he dies and is trained by Obi-Wan. And he said if Qui-Gon would have trained him, the kid would have turned out completely differently. And I, I agree with that statement. Um, but I also think Qui-Gon's death has a greater setup as far as the overall trilogy involves. I think we can agree if Qui-Gon trained Anakin, it would be a different situation. Would you agree with that? Or no? I have, I have thoughts on this. I do. I didn't know I had thoughts on this, but I do. Because I think it would have been different, but not in the way that he or you were possibly suggesting well i'm thinking i'm thinking a slightly different way than he's talking about but let's just talk about his comments first i and how you but the thing is uh, i can't talk about his comments without talking about mine and i don't want to take your thunder if this is a thing you realize first but i think that he i don't think he would have been fine that's my mm -hmm. thing that's that's where i disagree i don't think anakin would have been okay i think anakin would have become more cocky I think he would have been I think more resistant been more sure to the Jedi. Uh, well, because Qui-Gon already was. Yeah. And also Qui-Gon's super encouraging of this kid. Mm -hmm. So you already have this really borderline, I know what I'm doing character, because he had to when he was younger. Yeah. Then getting nurtured by being told, yes, you know exactly what you're doing. And like, he's getting more guided gently versus Obi-Wan, who we've seen him and he calls Anakin, he calls Anakin on out all, all the time. time. Yeah. Whereas... Yeah. Qui-Gon didn't really do that from what we saw. And so I think if it was a more pat him on the head, like, don't worry, little Jedi, you're doing great, mm -hmm. mixed with his current personality, I think he might have still turned to the dark side, but have been more ready to do it. Rather than a tragic hero or tragic villain, I think he would have been more of like, yeah, like, what do you mean? The Jedi don't know anything. Like, yeah. But the dark side, that's where it's at, man. That I seems, think there would have been that. That seems great potential. That's an interesting way to think about it. And that's just knowing just knowing how Qui-Gon is with the Jedi and then taking Anakin's personality and amplifying Qui-Gon's mentality with the Jedi, mm -hmm. that's what that equals out to me. It doesn't equal out to like, no, he'd be fine. Like he would be a more stable, balanced individual. Oh, maybe more stable in the sense of he knows where he's going to go and yeah. that's to the dark side. Like. <laughs> interesting no and, and and i'm not really summing up like dave filoni's whole comments like you really have to go and watch it and talk about the depth that he's talking about and exactly what and his point isn't necessarily qui-gon and anakin his point is like what duel of the fates ultimately represent and it's this duel he says of uh you know the outcome of this duel will decide the fate of the galaxy at the end of the day, you know, oh, whether like Qui-Gon lives or dies. I like and I really part. liked how he said it. And it was yeah. great. But yeah, I never really thought about in your terms. Like, again, we don't think necessarily as, uh, points, but as human beings, how would those characters over a long period of time work together? And I guess it would depend how Qui-Gon raised him, but we don't know how that would be ultimately. To be fair, I didn't think about that point until just now. So yeah, like until he said it, I didn't really think of that being the ultimate you know idea of duel of the fates so it was really interesting and that's why i love talking about star wars this way because there's so many different deeper uh themes that run throughout these movies that if you don't actually think sit down look at 
and think about you can you can brush right over them right so hence why it's great for kids great for adults Uh, but for me Qui-Gon's death meant something a little bit different for me I always believed it was setting up Anakin's fear of loss that would pay off throughout the entire trilogy right uh and you even set that up earlier in the movie when the Jedi Council is talking to Anakin and they asked him if he's afraid, right? And like, and he's obviously no. And they're like, bullshit, we see right through you, kid. Don't try and trick us, you fool. And it's, again, fear of losing his mother, right? Of leaving behind his mom. So they already set up, he already has this idea of fear of loss. And then it gets confirmed later on because, again, this father figure who took him away from his only home and comfort and into this strange new galaxy dies. <laughs> he loses yep. him, right? He lost Qui-Gon now. He lost his father. Now he's stuck with Obi-Wan, who he already has a resentment toward, or like, uh, you know, resentment towards a rocky relationship with from right off the get-go. And then episode two, right, loses his mom. And then it ultimately sets him up as this um, fragile and, uh, you know, emotionally susceptible character towards Palpatine's manipulations and teachings. Um, he also made, Dave Filoni also made another point, which was right too. Without Qui-Gon there, Anakin turned to Palpatine as his mentor, right? Obi-Wan was yeah. a mentor, but obviously Palpatine had more sway uh, over him. And I think, again, Palpatine in episode one, will look you know, forward to your career with great interest. Like, showed him a bit more care and compassion compared to Obi-Wan, who was like, this kid's dangerous. And then ultimately agreed to train him. No, exactly. But I think, yeah, I think there, I think it's what Dave Filoni said, but I also think it does set up that fear of loss for Anakin as a character, and as he continues to lose, by the time you get to episode three, he's like, nah, not a freaking chance. Am I going to lose someone again? I dig that. I feel that. I feel like that's a good, that sense of loss, definitely. Well, and he already felt a sense of loss in the first movie to his mom as well. Yeah, like leaving her behind. Because he was leaving her, right? Yeah. So like his arc... His arc has essentially just been loss after loss after loss. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's... Again, that's almost where I wish there was an extra film just exploring his uh, time at the Jedi Academy to be like, well, okay, did he lose anything else during there? Did well, he have he friends was... that died? Yeah. Like... No, that's interesting. I, I didn't... I didn't really see the theme of loss throughout that and what that drove him to. So, yeah, I think... Like, I liked how Dave Filoni said it, because I never really thought of Duel of the Fates being the fate of the galaxy ultimately happening in this one moment. And it truly is when you look at it that way. But yeah, it set up all these different other elements, this uh, domino effect, right, that ultimately led to the fall of Darth Vader. And, or the rise of Darth Vader, I guess, the fall of Anakin Skywalker, however you want to look at it. But but again, it's also, if you look at, uh, if you want to talk about how it, it also affects the original trilogy as well and that's what i'm saying like the whole thing the whole thing it is the fate of all this stuff right and just how family is important to anakin right like so losing his father figure then losing his mom again but this time you know in a final point you know losing his wife like of course he's gonna give everything to save his only son like at the end of the day right so that's what i love about you know star wars and thematics and even the prequels what they show us of these characters uh you can blaze right over them and not even notice these things but as soon as you start digging deeper and looking into them 
you're like how you start seeing the connections the relationships the character motivations and just how these are actual people and they're doing no different than what people would do so george lucas at the end of the day when i look at this trilogy when i look at what he did like maybe the execution wasn't great but the storytelling's there the characters are there you know the ideas the thematics the 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 moments these critical key moments in his story are there it's just his execution (laughs) is a little rocky right but no i i thought this movie held this is probably one of the most important moments in star wars this battle of fates the death of qui-gon is way more important than i you know we really give it credit for sometimes most of the time he's just a great character who died and that bummed me out but yep <laughs> but then when you look at it you're like oh there's there's mu- there's a lot more there a lot more there one final theme that i think that i think it's pretty apparent and i don't think we need to talk about it too much is there's there's definitely a theme of uh nature versus uh nature versus the machine you know because if you look at specifically like it's it's a pretty on the nose theme with uh the final battle between the gun guns right and the for sure battle the droids, battle it's, droids. It's technology versus nature i think is a theme that they get that gets touched on a little bit in it mm-hmm. but nothing too crazy to dissect with that one it's just basically it's kind of it is it's the theme of what it is and that's yeah but i mean that's also been a theme throughout star wars because you know, if you go back to it's the ewoks versus the stormtroopers right it's them using logs oh and, and return stuff of versus, the yeah return of the jedi there yeah so that's my only other thought. Not really much of a thought. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's good. Like ultimately, it's the battle of good and evil, right? And I find how that how that idea like really translates so like it's the same idea, but it translates so differently over the trilogies, right? Like yeah. they really each have their own individual voice at the end of the day, and I think this movie, as far as it goes, like I think it's a great movie to watch and stuff, but. Ultimately, the trilogy, I think, as far as the prequels go, is greater than the sum of its parts, right? You can enjoy the movies, but when you watch the prequels, and again, the themes we talked about, and the moments, and the character pieces, and and these key things that happen, the prequels is greater as a trilogy when you watch it all together than it is as individual movies. Whereas the original trilogy is, uh, the movies are great, and the trilogy is great. It's a win. And then we even talked about this earlier. The sequels, it's the opposite. Where most of the time, the movies are actually better than if you look at it as a trilogy as a whole. It's The original trilogy was lightning in a bottle. And they you just, it's, I don't know how you're going to recapture it, you know? I don't think you will. And not every, not every trilogy or movie has to live up to those. But it's just awesome when we have different uh, movies that have different voices, right? The, the voice yep. of the tr- prequel trilogy is so much different than the old trilogy. And I get people didn't like that and didn't want that. But now that we're years past, I can I accept them both as two different voices and I enjoy them as both being Star Wars. But at different times. At the end of the day, it's just more Star Wars. Yeah. And I think that's a thing that more people need to realize and accept is like it's could be that you didn't get any more Star Wars. And there's this idea too that well the more they do with star wars the more it ruins my childhood and stuff and it's like no because you guess still what have I can do? them <laughs> you just the watch them guess guess what i can do yeah. if i don't like what they did in the other star if they don't if i don't like what they did in the prequels 
I can just watch four, five, and six. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't change what four, five, and six is. Yeah. If I don't like the sequels, well, I can still watch one through six. And that doesn't change anything. If I like what they just did in episodes one through nine, but I don't care for what they did in Clone Wars, guess what? I don't watch Clone Wars. You can, The beauty of this, with anything creative, with any piece of art that you ingest, you can pick and choose what you take in. Yeah. And you can pick and choose what you don't. And you can sit there and say, oh, but official canon, all this kind of stuff. Guess what? When you're when it's your own personal journey with art, it can be whatever you want it to mm-hmm. be. It doesn't have to be 100% knowledgeable canon and all that kind of stuff. That's some made-up words made up by people to make themselves feel good about themselves when it comes to this property. And you know what? <laughs> that is great. Yeah. That is great for them, and I'm happy they have that. But that doesn't have to define my journey with Star Wars and how I feel about it. Right. And that doesn't have to define your journey. We're all individuals, and we can all enjoy art differently. And that's the beauty of it. That's what's great about it. And that's what makes Star Wars awesome. Boom! Well said, sir. Well said. Well said. I think overall, you know, Star Wars, I think Episode One, it's an enjoyable film. I had fun. Right? Like I said, it works better in the overall story than it does maybe as an individual film. You know, the whole trilogy is greater than the sum of its parts. But it was still a really enjoyable film. I appreciate what he was doing. It wasn't perfect in execution, but it was enjoyable. And it added really some of the best things to Star Wars. Also, maybe some of the worst in this movie, you know? But some of the best things to Star Wars, yeah. And it was fun, enjoyable, and I don't think the movie gets as much credit as it deserves. It's kind of like a fine wine. It's getting better over time, I think. Here's the thing. Did you get bored watching it at any at any point in your life from when you saw it in theaters to now? Have you ever been bored watching the movie? No, it's always been a good time. And at the end of the day, that's what a movie is. It's yeah. entertainment. And as long as you're not sitting there, like the worst thing a movie can be, rather than being good or bad, maybe a bit on coursing. <laughs> maybe a bit on coursing. But but again, it, as long as the movie isn't boring, yeah. as long as it's it can be good, it can be bad. You're still entertained, and that's what makes a good movie. Mm-hmm. Like, the the biggest piece of kryptonite to a film is if it's boring. Yeah. It's like a comedy, right? If it doesn't make you laugh, why are you here? <laughs> Any film, if it's not entertaining, why are you here? Like, if you don't get something out of it. So, and, I agree If with you don't get something out of it, again, just turn it off and walk <laughs> Do away. something that's else. Fine. Do anything it else. It doesn't read a book. <laughs> yeah so but yeah that's is that our is that our final thoughts matt is that dude that's it all i can say is i'm actually kind of excited to watch episode two never thought i'd say those words because i'm not a huge fan of episodes two but i'm excited to see what i can find now and see if that digs a little deeper or if episode two really doesn't have too much going on i'm excited to wait and find out anything else in you no i think that's it um don't know when episode two is going to be but we'll surprise you with it at some point another special episode be. yep that's right oh man this was meaty i'm stuffed i'm more than stuffed dude i have gone like three hundred thousand pounds of intellectual information food whatever and I'm this full, is man. why <laughs> and this stuffed. is why we didn't try to tackle the star wars trilogy or all nine films in one yeah. video yeah this is no, why we made the smart so call long. <laughs> so long if you made it this far congratulations you deserve a medal yeah. i think yeah but i think that's good i think that's been a good conversation about phantom menace which is i like how we didn't actually call it phantom menace i think until right now um no, we but, did uh, not that's a good point 
We could really even dig into that title, but we won't right now. We're done. That's it. That's it's it. Darth Maul. There's not much to dig into it. He's the Phantom Menace. We know that. Or is it Palpatine? Oh my goodness, no. We're not getting into this man. <laughs> it's a He's bit of He's the both. thing that's elsewhere that's elusive. I figured... It's... I always thought Darth Maul was the Phantom Menace. Now I believe it's Palpatine. How about... Who's hidden in compromise. the shadows. Or it's the Sith. Compromise. In general. It's the Sith. We'll just say it's the Sith. That's... <laughs> we'll just go with There that. we go. Otherwise, we don't we'll need be another here for hour. another half hour. Yeah. <laughs> Debating the Phantom Menace. All right, man. That's it uh, for us. <laughs> you can find us here on YouTube. You can find us on our different podcast apps. If you're listening to us, you know where to find us. So come back. Yeah. All information for our specific projects. Matt Black Project and Ethan R. Hill's Anything I'm channel. Doing. Whatever you're doing. Down in the description below. And uh, yeah, subscribe to us. Stay up to date on all the most current podcasts or follow us wherever you are. And uh, that's it for another episode. This has been A Feast of Films, Episode 5, a special Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. That's a confusing <laughs> title, but I like it. That was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. This has been A Feast of Films, Episode 5, a special Look at Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. There we go. That makes way more sense. He's just staring at me. Okay, it's cool, man. It's cool. Uh, I'm Matt Black. (laughs) I'm Ethan R. Hill. And that's it for us. We'll see you guys later. Have a great week, everybody. Toodaloo. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you.